Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. Instead of becoming yet another burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm now on a mission to help lawyers do just that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both life and law. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hey there. It's your host, Heather Mulder. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. Today, we are getting into a really meaty topic. We are talking about mindfulness for lawyers so that you can be a stressless lawyer. So let's just hop on in and dive in because this is an important topic. We all hear about how stressed out lawyers are and we all experience it at some time or another. And I really want to make sure you understand what mindfulness is and how powerful it can be for you. So what is mindfulness? According to John Kabat-Zinn, who is a guru in the area, it is paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So let's break down exactly what that means first, okay? So paying attention to the present moment. What you're doing is you're paying attention to your thoughts, to your bodily sensations, to your feelings and emotions, and to the environment around you. And you're doing it in a very focused, concentrated manner, in a way where you're just accepting You're not looking at what's right and wrong about your feelings, about your thoughts, about what's going on around you. It's just what is. And you're not attached to it because of that, right? Which basically means you're just allowing it to be there and exist without assigning any additional thoughts or feelings to it. So the question becomes, why are we even talking about mindfulness as an antidote to attorney stress? So, of course, we need to get into the statistics about this, right? And the statistics really are pretty darn bad when it comes to lawyers. Now, we've all heard the stats out there. But just as a quick review, if you recall, back in 2016, there was a study that was released by the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation and the American Bar Association Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs. What that study found was that as many as 28% of licensed employed attorneys struggle with depression. That is a lot, y'all. Especially when you look at the general population, I think something like a little over 7.5% of the general population struggles with depression. 28% of employed attorneys do. Over 20% qualified as problem drinkers. And actually, as more specific questions were asked of the participants, that number jumped even higher to over 36%. As many as 19% were suffering from anxiety and 23% experienced high levels of stress. So the numbers don't lie, right? I mean, we all know that the practice of law is difficult, We know that the pressure to deliver more faster, have the right answers, and, and, you know, fulfill a million different roles that, frankly, law school didn't prepare us for. Law school prepared us to think like lawyers, but it didn't prepare us to be business advisors, too. It didn't prepare us to be salesmen. It didn't prepare us to be marketers. It didn't prepare us to be managers or leaders. And so 
we're not wholly prepared. And there's, there's a lot on our plates in addition to the practice of law. And the practice of law in and of itself is stressful, right? So why mindfulness? Number one, I want you to think about what we talked about in episode two. In episode two, we talked about the neuroscience behind how your brain thinks and how it's pre-wired to think and behave in certain ways. The problem is it can create a lot of stress. Additionally, lawyers are trained to think a certain way. We are trained to be risk averse. We are trained to look out for the bad so that we can guard against it, right? Well, that creates even more stress. If you haven't listened to episode two, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it and then come back here because it's really important to understand that so that you understand how powerful mindfulness can be and you will actually utilize the strategies we end up discussing today. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the effects of stress on the body. And not all stress is bad. Sometimes we need to be under a little bit of stress. Sometimes if it's just occasional and we don't perceive it as a bad, it can help, you know, get us going and stay more focused. Other times it's there to remind you that you're in danger and you need to act differently to protect yourself, right? What I'm talking about is the chronic stress that lawyers tend to live with as just part of the job, just part of the profession, what we have to put up with. And why we need to change that mentality. Because it's never going to change if we don't change our mentality, right? If we think it's acceptable and just part of the job, we're just going to keep on going. But here's why you shouldn't do that. So when your body's under stress, there are certain physical and mental repercussions. Your blood pressure increases. You have a weakened immune system. It negatively impacts your ability to sleep or the type of sleep that you get. It worsens your sleep. It impacts your digestive system. You can gain weight. All of this causes an increased risk of stroke, an increased risk of heart attack, ulcers. It also damages brain cells. It can impair your memory. And when you're under extreme stress, there are certain triggers that happen within your brain that then shut down your ability to focus and think clearly because it's going into fight or flight mode. The problem with this is if you're in fight or flight because you actually need to flee, that's one thing. But if you're in that mode a lot of the time, that's bad. Your body is not made for that. And all of this triggers some things mentally. It increases anxiety, gives you panic attacks, increases depression. And all of that leads to negative coping behaviors to cope through food, alcohol, drugs, right? And worst off, it can increase thoughts of suicide. So I want you to think about this because it is not just a one-off problem. It all compounds. When you're under a lot of stress, you're not thinking as clearly or rationally. And so then you do things that are more emotionally reactive, which then create a worse scenario, which then increases stress, which then continues down the spiral. Now, one of the things I see a lot is attorney saying, yeah, well, this is a self-care issue. This is a personal issue. If I want to not treat myself all that well occasionally because I need to, oh, well, why is it such a big deal? Because it's more than just you. Yes, it's important for your physical, mental, spiritual health. It is a self-care issue, obviously. But it is also going to affect your ability to practice law. I believe it is an ethical issue. Just putting up with it eventually leads to negative coping behaviors because it's not sustainable in the long term. And that is an ethical issue. 
Moreover, even if you don't go to negative coping behaviors, it is going to impact your ability to think as creatively, to think clearly, to stay rational, to stay calm. And that is obviously going to have an impact on your relationships with your team, on your relationships with your colleagues, on your relationships with your clients. It's going to impact you as a lawyer, right? This is why this is such a big deal in my mind and why I believe we need to get a handle over it. One final thing that I want you to understand, and I I believe I mentioned this in episode two as well, we know that your mentality around stress matters. And I think this is another reason why mindfulness is so amazingly powerful. So there was a study done by the University of Wisconsin. They studied stress and the types of stress that respondents were under and their thoughts about the stress and how it impacted them. What they found was incredibly fascinating. So the people who had reported having high levels of stress and who believed the stress had a large impact on their health had a 43% increased risk of premature death. 43%, y'all. Here's what I actually find more interesting. Those that experienced a lot of stress but didn't perceive its effects as a negative were among the least likely to die as compared to all other participants in the study, including those that reported low levels of stress. So what does this mean? It means that your mindset, your mentality, how you think matters. How you perceive your stress matters. And I think that's why mindfulness is so powerful. So let's get into how mindfulness reduces stress and anxiety. So number one is awareness. You become much more aware of so many things. You become more aware of your thoughts. And I want you to understand how thoughts, emotions, responsiveness works. So you have thought and you have lots of thoughts going on in your head, whether or not you're even aware of them. There are the conscious thoughts that you're aware of and the subconscious thoughts in the back of your mind that you're not always aware of, right? Those thoughts create emotions and feelings. There's there's some type of a feeling or emotion attached to every thought you have. And the thought plus the emotion creates a reaction or a response, right? So part of why mindfulness is so powerful is it helps you to settle in and really listen to and allow a lot more of those thoughts to come to the surface. And so you become much more aware of the thoughts spinning around in your head, of the emotions that are attached to them, and also your typical response. You also become more aware of external stuff. So not all mindfulness goes to the internal. You can use mindfulness to become more aware of other people, of things that cause more stress for you as well, your external stressors. It also increases awareness around your typical reactions. And what I mean by that is how do you tend to respond to stress? I'm not just talking about do you blurt out a bad word or do you snap at people? I'm also talking about your bodily responses. So when we're under stress, certain things tend to happen physically within us. So for me, my neck and my shoulders get really tense. You might have that too. For others, they get the sick feeling in their stomach. Others start to sweat more. I mean, we all have these physical responses. When you become more aware of them, you become more attuned to when you're starting to feel stress even earlier. And it allows you to break the pattern. The other thing is about this awareness piece is it changes how you perceive what's real versus what isn't real. What I mean by that is what is fact versus opinion. A lot of our thoughts inside of our heads, we consider facts when they're really not their opinions. 
And so it allows us to step back and identify, well, that's really just an opinion. That's not a fact. And it introduces more control and more choice into the mix. The next thing it does after the awareness piece is it it actually changes how you process experiences. And especially with respect to your negative experiences, difficult circumstances, things that typically stress us out, right? So I don't know if you've heard of this, but some people like to talk about E plus R equals O. E is an event happens. R is your response. And O is the outcome. So the event you don't really have control over. Now, we're going to take away the fact that sometimes we create these events, but once it's happened, you have no control. What you have control over is your response, right? The ultimate outcome is based on those two things. And so what you want to do is start taking control over your response. And that's where mindfulness is very powerful because it helps you take better control over it. It gives you kind of the space this pause to take a step back and view things from a more calm, clear manner without judgment. It also introduces, studies show that it introduces your ability to be compassionate and patient. And when I say compassionate to yourself and to others, this allows you to approach these tense, difficult, unexpected situations in a much better way, right? It reduces your emotional reactivity, thereby preventing that stress ripple effect I talked about earlier, and allows you to let go of what you can't control. So instead of ruminating, we all do this, right? Ruminating over all the bad that's going on in our lives or all the things we can't control, it allows us to step back and kind of create a pattern interrupt on that and make better choices. So when I talk about pattern interrupts, that also means if it's pattern inter- if it's interrupting your thought process and helping you step back, it's also then going to interrupt your typical responses that create more stress. So it can help change those habitual behavioral patterns that we all get into. It also can improve relations. Studies show that mindfulness, people who practice mindfulness are better listeners. They're better at focusing in and really hearing other people. As opposed to what typically happens when we talk to people is we start to hear them and then it reminds us of something and our mind kind of goes elsewhere or it, you know, we decide we want to say something and we're thinking more about what we want to say as opposed to listening to the other person. So it helps to retrain your brain to be a better listener, which is obviously going to improve your relationship with anyone and less judgmental as well. That will also help you be a better communicator. When you listen more, you understand more. And then you're better able to put together your thoughts in a more compassionate, clear way. So your messaging is better as well. You have a more mindful response. And then finally, it helps make you less distracted. It trains your brain to be more focused because you're learning how to pause, take a moment, reflect, see all, and then make a decision. All right, so now the question because, well, what do you do? (laughs) What are some things that you could do to be more mindful? So number one, meditation. So I want to go a little bit into this whole thing about, well, I don't meditate well or I can't do it. My, My brain is just not meant for it because it just moves too fast. That's just not true. If that's you, then you don't really understand what meditation is or the point of meditation. And I want to break it down a little bit for you because the good news is meditation is not about clearing your mind of all thoughts. What you're really doing is you're retraining your brain to learn how to be more focused. 
And you need to give yourself a break. And you need to be kind to yourself when trying to meditate. And remember that you're starting from wherever you're starting from, okay? And your brain is going to wander. And that's totally okay. In fact, every time your brain wanders off and you catch it and you bring it back to whatever you're focusing on, be it your breath or something else, you're training it to come back to the present. And that's a good thing. So I want you to rethink what meditation really is, okay? Instead of thinking about it as clearing your mind, think of it as a practice in stillness of just being still in the moment and training your brain to just refocus whenever it needs to. It gives you permission to try it and to be kinder and gentler on you whenever your mind does roam. Even practitioners who've done this forever can't stay focused all the time. Your mind wanders. And what I would say to that is oftentimes that's a clue to you that you're not stepping back and taking time for all the thoughts that are inside of your head to come out. Because remember, we have conscious thoughts and unconscious thoughts. And when we're trying to meditate or do something and we find that our brains are constantly going all over the place, to me, that's just data, knowledge to say, okay, well, obviously my brain needs this. So that's okay. I'm just going to keep taking it back and I'm just going to notice what shows up. So there's a lot of ways to do meditation. You don't have to just be in a quiet room and stay still. I want you to find a way to meditate that works for you. And so let's go over a few of them. You can do a type of meditation that you probably already think of where you're very still, you focus in on your breathing, but you can focus on other things if that's easier. So you can focus on sounds that you hear. You can focus on a candle and a flame that's in the candle, whatever works for you. So a very simple meditation like that that you can start with is just to focus in on one thing like the candle or your breathing and focus on being still. And again, anytime your mind wanders, bring it back to whatever your focal point is. While you're doing this, make sure you're breathing through your nose slowly. Make your exhale a little bit longer than your inhale. That helps calm your brain down. It helps stop the stress response within your body. I recommend that people start, if they're not used to doing this, with three to five minutes. Probably just start with three minutes and move from there and go up to maybe 12. If you can go longer that and you love it, do it. I can't get beyond 12 minutes, and I've been doing this for a couple of years now, so I think that's my limit. So that's a simple meditation. You can also do what's called a body scan. So a body scan is where you lay down, and you go somewhere quiet, and you do your breath meditation, but while you're doing it, after the, I usually like to take about a minute for just breathing just to calm down. Then you start to scan your body, and you either start at your head, at the top, or at the bottom, at your toes, and pay attention for like 10, 15, 20 seconds to that part of your body and then move up or down. And you go by groupings, right? So maybe you start with your toes and then the rest of your feet and then your calves and then you keep moving on up. When I do this, I like to tense my muscles, count to like five or eight, and then slowly release them. And then I move to the next muscle group. I find that easier and I find it much more calming. Another thing you can do when it comes to meditation is movement meditation. Exercise can actually be coupled with meditation. Yoga is a perfect example. Yoga is kind of a form of meditation when you think about it because you're focusing in on your breathing. But you can also practice some sort of meditation while you're swimming, while you're running, while you're riding a bike, while you're walking. 
So if you're walking, let's, let's go with a walking meditation. Maybe first focus on how your feet feel when you're hitting the ground. So you're focusing in on the experience. That's your focal point. And for the first couple of minutes, just pay attention to how your feet feel when they hit the ground. And then move on to what do you smell? And then move on to what do you see? And then move on to what do you hear, right? And just keep your focus. And anytime your mind wanders to something else, bring it back to whatever it is you're focusing on in that moment. That's a really easy way to get into a meditative state while you're moving around. Okay, so another way to introduce mindfulness, let's get away from the meditation and go to something else, is through a mindful activity. And I'm going to give you a couple here. So mindful eating would be one. Let's say you have a plate of food in front of you and you want to spend the first four minutes that you're eating to be incredibly mindful. So first, savor the smell. You take a minute to savor the smell and you notice what you're smelling. And then you feel the plate. Is it warm? Is it cold? And you take a moment for that. Then you take a moment to look. Just look at it. Then you finally take your bite and you pay close attention to how it feels in the mouth. And then on the next bite, you pay closer attention to the taste. Okay? And you can go back between the various senses or you could choose just one. What that is doing for you is it's training you to be super focused in the moment and to stay focused and attentive in that moment. Now you can use the same technique with drinking something like tea or coffee. You choose what you want. Another mindful activity that you might want to try is using your five senses. So you could do this sitting in your office, at home. It's a little bit easier, I find, if you go outdoors. So on a walk or just sitting outdoors, paying attention to what's going on around you. And you start with five things that you see and you identify them. And then four things that you hear and you identify those. And then three things that you can feel. And then two things that you smell. And then one thing that you can taste. If you utilize one of these activities when you're in the midst of an especially stressful time or moment, it's creating a pattern interrupt. So I find that some of these mindful activities are really great to utilize when you just really need to interrupt your pattern because you're really stressed. There's a lot going on and you can utilize it in that moment. Finally, mindful self-awareness. And I'm going to give you two things that you can do here. So the first would be to just journal how you feel. Journal. People either love or hate journaling, so this may or may not be for you. But I I actually recommend you try it a couple times just to see. And you might try it in various circumstances. So I have clients who love to journal every single day. They have like 10 or 15 minutes every morning where they get out a journal and they just write whatever comes to mind. It's where they get their creativity from. It's where they get their ideas from. And it's especially helpful for a couple of them when it comes to their client development activities and they're trying to just think outside the box. So that's one way you could utilize it. Or you could just do it when you feel like you need it. I have another client that journals when things don't go well, especially the unexpected happens or an emergency comes up or something doesn't go her way. And she's not happy about it. She'll journal for like three to five minutes. And she finds that if she gets all of her thoughts out of what's going on, she massively reduces the anger and the discomfort and the anxiety and the stress that she was feeling. 
And she's able to then look at it and make a better decision and a more responsive decision as opposed to an emotionally reactive one. And so that is her way of dealing with her st- the stress and anxiety when things don't go well. So you can utilize it however you want, either as a formal activity, like the daily journaling, or more informally. Another great way is through gratitude. I like to write gratitude down. I would say maybe have a journal that is just for your gratitude and write down five to ten things that you're grateful for in that moment and be very specific and say why. This can be utilized as a formal practice, like a daily practice. I actually do recommend that you try to practice gratitude on a more regular basis because there are a lot of benefits to it, to how to retrain your mind to think differently and to perceive the world differently in a much more positive light that's still very realistic because, of course, you're being grateful for the things that are real, right? It's also a good thing to utilize when things haven't been going well, when you need a pick-me-up. All right, so now you've learned what mindfulness is. You've learned how it can help you. You've learned why it can be so powerful, especially when it comes to, you know, managing your stress levels, reducing your anxiety, creating more awareness that you can deal with root problems, interrupting patterns that are negative, and not going down that negative stress spiral with the ripple effect that we talked about. My recommendation is that you do two things. That you figure out some go-to practices for when you're in the moment of really feeling stressed and you just need to step back and calm down. There are plenty of practices you can utilize. And I don't know if you noticed, but all of these can be easily integrated very naturally into your day. Like you could do a one, two, or three-minute breath meditation when you feel stressed without it taking away too much time. You can mindfully eat the first couple of minutes one meal per day. You can, I mean, there are very, these are very simple, easy things that are not time consuming. That's what's so great about them. They work, but they also don't take up a bunch of time. So pick a couple of things and start utilizing them when you need them. But more importantly, pick one or two exercises that you want to try to do consistently. Make a formal practice of it because that's where you're going to have the long-term benefits. The formal practice, like a formal meditative practice, either daily or four or five times a week, is going to help retrain your brain in the long term to process thoughts differently, to become more aware of what's going on inside of your head so you can deal with it appropriately, to help you create those interrupts and actually change your habits over time. And if If I were to pick what to do, I would pick two. I would do some form of meditation. Remember, you don't have to just sit down, (laughs) be still. You can do a movement meditation. You can walk, you can, whatever you want. There's lots of ways to meditate. And I would also do gratitude because gratitude has been proven to change how you perceive things, to change how you see the world. And that can drastically reduce your stress levels. The one thing I want to end with here is Notice that what we're really doing and what we're really talking about isn't just dealing with stress when it happens. It's changing how you perceive things so that you don't ever feel as stressed in the first place. We're talking about a prevention, a stress prevention strategy. And that's where I think mindfulness is most powerful. Okay, so if you would like to know more about these strategies, I highly recommend that you grab the Life and Law Roadmap. 
I do talk about this a little bit in there. And in addition to that, I send a host of additional mindset and stress management mindfulness strategies to you for anybody who signs up for the Life and Law Roadmap. So I do highly recommend that you pick that up. I hope you learned a lot today and I very much hope that you decide to utilize some of the strategies we talked about and implement them within your life because they've definitely helped me um, over the course of many years and have drastically changed how I think, how I process my thoughts, and really they've drastically reduced my stress levels to the point where when my website got hacked (laughs) not that long ago, I guess it was about a year and a half ago now, I didn't flip out. I mean, yeah, I was stressed and yeah, I, I wasn't terribly happy about it when it happened, but I was able to detach, calm down, and deal with it appropriately and then let go of it. And I got to tell you, had that happened to me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have been a mess, a wreck, and I would have carried it with me for a very long time. This is the type of thing mindfulness can do. I couldn't change the scenario, right? But I could affect my response and then the ultimate outcome. And that's what I want for you too. I'm going to link, I wrote about that experience a while back. So I'm going to link that in the show notes as well in the event you would like to read about it. All right, that is it for today. Please utilize some of these strategies for yourself. They truly are powerful. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a subscriber, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.